0: what is going on everybody welcome back to another episode of the spectators it is december 12 2022 we are approaching christmas so happy holidays to everybody christmas hanukkah all that good stuff whatever you guys celebrate and the new year is right around the corner as well we got a lot of great things coming over from the spectators to you coming into the new year and throughout 2023 so i hope you guys are excited because i am and the rest of the boys are as well uh we missed last week's episode so we do have a lot to talk about and uh brooklyn right before this episode uh is getting a little sick i was talking to him this morning he didn't sound too bad we hopped in here Right before we we're about to record, he did not sound good. So hope be you're feeling better soon, brother. But uh, the show must go on, especially without having it last week. And there again is so much to talk about. I'm gonna be bouncing around between everything, <laughs> because it's an insane the amount of stuff that's been happening so far. I'm gonna start on the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup. We've had the last couple of episodes. We had Devin on to talk about it. Uh, Devin is not here today, but it's a good thing that you have your true. Soccer expert, so they say. Uh, I've been able to watch a lot of the games, especially in knockout, in the knockout rounds and in the bracket, and this has been really exciting, honestly. There have been, I think it's three or four penalty shootouts already, and we're just getting into the semifinals now, and we have a couple of teams you would expect including last tournament in 2018, Cinderella in Croatia. They returned back to the semifinals, and they're going to be playing Lino Messi in Argentina, which Messi is looking for his first ever World Cup in his last World Cup, his first championship in his last tournament. I mean, he's one of the best to ever do it. So he has an opportunity to go out, in international play at least, and on the very, very top, and bring Argentina that uh, that championship. They've been looking for for forever. But Croatia knows how to play and win in the knockout rounds. We saw it in 2018. They won their round of 16, their their quarterfinal, and their semifinal game all in either extra time or penalty kicks. And then the same trend comes into this year. They play uh, Japan, and they wind up wiping japan in penalties it was a fantastic match but then penalties came and japan just didn't have it croatia beats them in penalties then croatia gets brazil and neymar and this game if you guys saw it was absolutely unreal zero zero going into extras neymar scores a, a gorgeous ball In the first half of Extra Time, Croatia comes back, and pretty much after that, Neymar goal was full attack mode. It felt like they were going to score. They eventually did put one away to tie it, sending it to penalties. And then Croatia just was not missing early on in pens. And it just started out rough for Brazil. First shot for Brazil was blocked by the Croatian keeper, and it was kind of downhill from there. So Croatia advances on two penalty shootout victories. They're playing Argentina. Argentina. I don't fully know how to feel about that game um, because also Argentina won on penalties. They were up 2-0 on Netherlands in their quarterfinal matchup. And the Netherlands scored two goals in the last 10 to 15 minutes of regulation to tie it up, get to the draw, and eventually nobody scored an extra time and went to pens. That was an insane game. And I was watching it just hoping it got to penalties. Because after the first Netherlands goal, I was like, oh, the 2-0 curse is really going to happen. The The least safe lead of all time is really going to strike fear again. And it almost did. Uh, they do give up the lead, but they do eventually push that aside, push through, and get a victory. So they're going to both be in the semifinals. That's going to be tomorrow at 2 o'clock, I believe. Yeah, tomorrow at 2 o'clock. And then we have the other semifinal on Wednesday at two o'clock. And so that is gonna be between France who are the reigning World Cup champions and have been looking mostly impressive for a good chunk of the tournament. and then we have Morocco. and Morocco is the story of the tournament. I mean it's not particularly even close at this point. They were given an incredibly difficult group, an incredibly difficult group and I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and like see exactly the scores of all their victories, but they were given a very tough group. And not only do they advance to the knockout rounds, but they win their table, right? They win their table. Then they go into the bracket and it's first game. They play Spain. And it's like, Oh man, this is another, uh, this is a squad that's won a world cup before they're younger than they've been in the past. Like you'd feel pretty confident about their chances, right? They go take Spain 0 0, beat them in penalties, and they wiped them in penalties. Spain didn't get a goal in penalties, which is pretty unreal, especially for the squad they had. And and uh, Morocco, in their group, they played Croatia to a draw. They beat Belgium and they beat Canada. So it's not like that was an easy group. I mean, they're playing, they tied the other team in the semis. And beat Belgium. Oh, I believe Belgium was either one or two in the world coming into this tournament. So they've had a very, very good run so far. They get Portugal in their quarterfinal game against Cristiano Ronaldo. And they blanked them as well. One nothing. Portugal does not score. Morocco has given up a single goal in this tournament. A single goal. And it was an no own goal against Canada. It still counts. It still counts. But it was an own goal against Canada that is the only conceded goal they have done thus far. But they have a very, very difficult matchup against probably the highest scoring team in this tournament to begin with, especially still remaining in this tournament. France has all the momentum. They've won last time. They broke the champions curse by still making it to the knockout round. I know Devin brought that up. Champions tend to not make The knockout round after Germany had that issue. Spain had that issue. We're seeing if France would follow suit as well, but they do not. And now here they are in the semis. They played a pretty brutal game against England. England looked better for a lot of the game, but it doesn't particularly matter how much better you look if you don't finish your chances. England missed a penalty. They missed a couple of other chances. And then Olivier Giroud and, and Mbappe just put away absolutely gorgeous goals. Two, 2 to 1. France gets the uh, the win over England and England is uh you'd feel good about their world cup. Again, they they had a great run, but there's something the there's always something a little left to be desired for England and the England side and missing a penalty that probably would have sent this to extra time is definitely disheartening for them, but losing to the champions is is no It's not a shame, right? It's definitely not a shame. So looking forward to these games. Again, we have Argentina-Croatia on Tuesday, France-Morocco on Wednesday. And then we have the final is on 12-18. So 12-18 is probably on Saturday. I can look real quick. It's on Sunday. So Sunday is the World Cup final. So be on the lookout for that. That's probably a good reason. I know there's some NFL action happening on Saturday next week. That's probably why. Uh, It would actually make a ton of sense (laughs) if that's the reason why you have that game at 10 a.m. on Sunday. So everybody wake up, watch that. It's going to be a great matchup, whichever of these four teams we get, especially if Morocco makes it. That means they have just beaten three of the best powers in the world to get here. So they are not to be slept on at that point. Right. Looking at it for me. I really, really want to see an Argentina-France final. I, I think those are the two better teams to begin with, and I'm a fan of seeing the best teams play in the finals. Uh, but then seeing the the best player in the world for the past 15 years in Messi play against the current best player in the world in Kylian Mbappe, who they are also teammates, which is pretty cool. I really, really would love to see that. And uh, the the passing of the guard. Seeing Messi win his first World Cup would be really sick, but also seeing France get the back-to-back would be incredible because that just does not happen. I think it's happened once before. Um, I might be wrong about that, so don't yell at me. I think it's happened once before, though. So those are the teams that I'm rooting for. I know Morocco's a really fun story, but I've just been rooting for France since the get-go, so that's how I feel towards the world cup. Uh, but let me know if you guys have been watching it and who you're looking forward to for tomorrow and Wednesday's matches heading into the final and wrapping up this, this pretty successful world cup, despite all the, the nonsense with, uh, the location. But that being said, I do want to, uh, offer my condolences to the, to the wall family, the U S reporter for the men's national team, um. they reported that he did pass away this weekend. So I did want to offer my condolences to the family and anybody who enjoyed and absorbed his content and his greatness because he was absolutely one of not just the greatest in the sport, but the greatest in the business. So I did want to offer my condolences there. And, um, yeah, it it goes to show that despite the, the play being amazing, there were still too many things happening with Qatar, and I hope they never get this again because they're a lawless land that didn't deserve this. Thanks FIFA for being corrupt. I did mention that the NFL is moving on Saturday for some of the games this weekend, which is very strange. I, I hate when the NFL does that. Honestly, it's especially this early. It, I, we're going into Week 15. If they do a Week 17 and 18, sure, whatever. You're you're. last weeks of the year, we'll get into playoff form. But week 15 feels really, really early. Um, It's just the way the the schedule goes out this this week. The one thing, there's a couple things I really want to talk about, right, for the NFL this week. In week 14, you'll have my power rankings coming out probably tomorrow. I'll probably put those out tomorrow. I haven't put them out in the week. Been traveling, been super busy. So you'll get my power rankings on the NFL coming out Tomorrow after the Monday night game. And it's a pretty easy one, but the Eagles are going to be number one. I'm not going to dwell on that too much, but the rest we'll talk about. I might make a TikTok on those as I put them out for the rest of the year just to like talk about why I feel a team is in a certain spot. I feel like that could be a good engagement, good way to communicate with you guys on my thinking in that top six or top eight. I think we expanded it to top eight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but. What I do want to talk about is Brock Purdy and the 49ers. And if there's anything that I've found out over the years, it's that it doesn't necessarily matter who's manning the helm over there in San Francisco. And I mean, we've seen this for the better part of a decade now, right? It was Alex Smith. The 49ers were fantastic. Then it was Colin Kaepernick. They seemingly got better, right? And I mean, these are just moving on quarterbacks right then eventually they move on to jimmy garoppolo after a couple of down years they had to retool a little bit they get jimmy garoppolo they wind up back in the super bowl and they've been a very very good team in the nfc for five years now it's they built it on their defense they built it on a zone run scheme and now they go draft a quarterback high in the draft he gets hurt they have to bring back Jimmy G. He gets hurt. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. And I think that's not like loud enough, right? Mr. Irrelevant. He was the last pick in the draft this season. One of the best quarterbacks for Iowa State. I think probably the best Iowa State quarterback of all time. The Iowa State Cyclones were very, very good with him and Brees Hall. They were just a very, very good team. So it's nice to see Brock actually getting an opportunity. Last week, he plays against the Dolphins. They smacked up the Dolphins with Brock. This week, they played the Bucs. Tom Brady in the Bucs, and yeah, they've had their struggles. Their O-line is very suspect. They don't have a run game. Their wide receivers are the most injury-prone things they've ever seen. They took it to the Bucks, man. They were up 35 to nothing in the third quarter. 35 nothing in the third quarter. They just started running out the clock. The Bucs finally score, at least, so they didn't get shot out. But this was a true test. And coming into this game, I felt this way, and I felt the 49ers were a better team. And I felt the 49ers were one of the best teams in the league because of how explosive their defense is and how to get to the quarterback, and then the big-time plays that they make when they need to make a play, and they do the same thing on offense, despite the quarterback never being the star of the show. This was a... Is Tom Brady going to do that Tom Brady thing where he figures it out towards the end of the season, and then they start beating quality teams, and then they get on the run? And it felt like it might be that. They had a three-game win streak. It was like, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. But they came in, and they played one of the four best teams in the NFC and got absolutely embarrassed by a third-string quarterback. Christian McCaffrey looked amazing. Uh, Debo Samuel got hurt. Uh, apparently, that's just a high ankle sprain. There are questions. As much as I'm praising the 49ers coaching staff right now, there are a lot of questions toward our staff. They just seemingly do not treat their <laughs> skills position players with any sort of care. They want to get the runs. They want to get the the yards by like any means necessary, seemingly. And rushing Debo when he asked not to be rushed, and then he gets clobbered and looked like he might be out for a long period of time. They say it's a high ankle sprain which is the best news. So hopefully Debo is back sooner and later. But I mean, you've seen every season they lose a running back or two and they wind up going down a running back, going down a running back. And it's like, man, why do they keep getting hurt? Putting yourself in harm's way is definitely something that contributes to that. But the Niners now are 9-4. and They're in first in that division. They're probably going to win it, especially because the Seahawks lost yesterday. That was the one true competition. The Seahawks had looked really good overall but the last couple of weeks they have definitely sputtered out. Uh Niners are on a 6 game win streak by the way. Don't sleep. They were they were uh 3 and 4 and now they are 9 and 4. Who would have thought the Niners get hot, right? Everybody. Absolutely everybody. So, they are I think currently the 4 seed in the NFC. The the Vikings and the Cowboys are flip-flopping between the other spots. And um, the other great game that happened yesterday, and it it was less of a great game, but it was really, really big for media. Really, really big for media. Now, if you guys have been paying attention to, like, NFL Twitter and, like, NFL drama, there's been this saying going around that Justin Herbert is a social media quarterback, and it's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. It's definitely just saying it because they're sick of hearing how good Herbert is, and um, they're not, like, watching film or, like, watching the throws that are just impossibly difficult that this guy makes so there was there was this this feeling that people were like well Justin Herbert yeah people claim he's so good and he's so good and he's so good but the Chargers keep losing why do the Chargers keep losing if Herbert's so good is what everybody was saying and it's like guys let's let's take like two steps back here let's take two steps back right Keenan Allen is perpetually hurt. He's the best wide right receiver there. He's perpetually hurt. Mike Williams is like a step behind him in injuries, right? They're they are Tweedle D and tweedle injured when it comes to not playing consistent minutes, right? And then their best offensive lineman and Slater, who they didn't have for the first season, but Herbert was there, comes in. He was fantastic last year. He's hurt out for the year this year. Darn what happens when you lose your best offensive lineman? More pressure comes to the quarterback. It's weird how that happens. So Herbert's been playing under duress all year without his two best receivers. They might have the worst defense in the NFL, and I think these are all coaching issues too. I mean, obviously injuries you can't control, but I think like Staley is one of the worst coaches in the league and their defensive schemes are not great and they make really questionable coaching decisions like far too often. It's it's a little ridiculous how often these errors and miscues come from, from the head coaching and play calling and watch the Chargers game. You'll know what I'm saying. In this game, the Dolphins played the Chargers and they've mostly been connected because Tua and Herbert were drafted super close to each other. The Dolphins took Tua over Herbert and with how well Tua's been playing this year, and he definitely has had a solid year, people were like, oh, man, is just better now after just, like, the one year where Herbert's been fantastic for his career to this point. Tua goes 10 for 28, only 145 yards. Much of those yards come off a towards the end of a game kind of a broken play where Tyreek Hill just kind of does Tyreek Hill things. He makes a guy fall, runs, gets a touchdown, gets a score. Tyreek Hill is also just... One of the best ever. I saw a stat. That was Tyreek Hill's the first player in the Super Bowl era to have a rushing touchdown, a receiving touchdown, a kick return, a punt return, and a fumble recovery touchdown in his career. The first ever, which makes sense because how often are offensive players getting fumble recoveries? Not not very often, but that is a that is a really cool little tidbit. So shout out Tyreek, just one of the best playmakers ever. But Tua, again, 10 for 28, 145 yards. Most of those yards coming from that one Tyreek play down the seam. Herbert, 39 for 51, 367 yards. He was sacked twice. He probably could have been sacked five or six times if you are watching this game. And if there's anything that Justin Herbert's good at, it's not throwing meaningless interceptions because he'll throw an interception, but they're never, like, stupid plays. It's like a broken play or like wide receiver went left and type of stuff you know just completely broken plays and he never gets sacked he is somebody who despite how bad his o-line is breaks out and is so elusive because he's sneaky athletic as you know as as the kids like to say about the quirked up white boy quarterback quarterbacks he's sneaky athletic and he gets out of these sack situations, and he makes plays, and he extends plays like nobody else that we've seen since prime Aaron Rodgers and then Patrick Mahomes. And he does these things that only those handful of quarterbacks do. The the Mahomes, the Brady's in his prime, the Rodgers in his prime. Like He does things like that. Even Joe Burrow's starting to do some of those things now. Uh, and a Josh Allen at times, even though Josh Allen's way more susceptible to the the mental mistakes, which Josh Allen just reminds me so much of, like an athletic Brett Favre. It's kind of awesome. I I love it so much. But this game just like finally put to bed that whole debate. It's like the people who like Tua were very vocal in liking Tua, and it would let you know they like Tua, and that everybody else in that draft class sucks, and Tua's better, and he's better, and he's better. That's put to bed. These two quarterbacks are not in the same league. Tua's playing very well this year despite this game, but these two are not in the same league. It, it is an echelon with the top quarterbacks, and then there's wherever Tua is not in that, and so I'm happy we can put that to bed. Thank you, Justin, for playing that way and uh, proving you're not just a social media quarterback. And then you win a game. You went and win a game. Now the Chargers are realistically still in the playoff hunt, which is Shocking, again, despite all the injuries. They're the most injured team we've ever seen, besides, like, the Ravens last year. They're in the hunt. Let's find out if they are actually in the playoffs right now. They are. As of this current moment, they are the seven seed because the Jets lost yesterday. So they would be the 7th seed right now, and they are one game back of the Dolphins. So it's not even like that's even out of the, the realm to move up another spot. So that would be pretty good because if you get out of the 7th seed, you don't have to play the Chiefs, and that sounds really good to me, eh? Well, I guess maybe not the Chiefs. Chiefs might not be the one. Chiefs might get the one seat because they're tied with the Bills. There's a lot going on in the AFC. It's kind of fun. Playoff picture is a really good opportunity to uh, talk about next week when I have another partner here. We'll talk about the playoffs. And next week, we'll probably talk about, like, MVP and stuff like that. So, you know, as we get into Week 15, those awards start to really clear themselves up. We got a couple favorites. Jalen Hurts looking kind of good. Patrick Mahomes looking kind of good. I wish it wasn't the quarterback award, but. Because Micah Parsons might be in that conversation. If, if if you can get a defensive player there, he, he might be right there. You know, so that's – um we got a lot to look forward to for next week. Again, when we have another partner here, we can bounce some ideas off and, and get really into the nitty-gritty of the NFL season. Um, I do also want to say uh, wishing for the best and prayers and all that for – Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach, the former Washington State head coach, uh, apparently he had a heart attack, is is what they're saying, on Sunday, and he's in critical condition. So we're hoping for the best for Mike Leach. He's one of the best coaches in the country. He's one of the best, like, low-tone personalities in the country, and he's a fantastic coach. And from everything I heard, he's a fantastic person. So we're, we're sending our thoughts to uh, the Leach family and hoping for the best on that uh college football playoff is coming up which means we just got the heisman this week shout out to caleb williams and lincoln riley we got to put lincoln riley in that conversation as well uh they both transferred to usc caleb williams just has an unbelievable year oh my god i will say the uh the heisman has felt a little flat the last couple years i don't know if that's just me you guys tell me um We had such a good run of Heisman with, like, Jameis and then Mariota. And then we had uh, Manziel in there, and we had RG3. Like, we had a really, really good run of, like, really fun Heismans and, like, Heisman races. And the last couple of years, it hasn't felt that way. Uh, Devontae Smith was fantastic when he won it. Um, The Alabama quarterback, uh, Young, won it last year. Now we get Caleb Williams. I think Caleb Williams is amazing. I think he's going to be an amazing quarterback in the NFL too. But he's not going this year, so that's that's a video for a year in advance from now, but when he becomes draft eligible, but shout out to Caleb getting USC its first Heisman since Ryan Leaf. I don't think we're we're counting Reggie Bush. Obviously Reggie Bush, but you know, USC's getting back to the program that uh, is the blue blood in this sport. And Caleb is a big part of that. So big shout-out there. Shout-out to the Pac-12 for, like, another year before USC leaves the Pac-12 eventually. But we'll take it while we got it, right? And then we're going to move over to baseball real quick. We had a lot of crazy stuff happen in baseball over the last year. And I think it's just super important to kind of get into, right? Uh, The New York Mets are spending $70 trillion. They're going to be at like $500 million for this coming year. (laughs) That's just unreal. They signed Justin Verlander to two-year $87 million deal, which is crazy. The Cy Young Award winner leaves the Astros, which I did not think he was going to do. But when you're making $43.5 million, I cannot blame you. They go get Brandon Nimmo, eight years, $162 million. That is unreal. Ungr- like unreal deal but i think he has like the fourth highest on base percentage over the last like five years so there's super good value in him edwin diaz five year 102 million dollars the biggest deal for a reliever currently in the league a lot of money over 20 million a year for edwin shout out to the trumpets he had a great season i don't see that contract ending well but relievers never do right they also get Jose Quintana, two-year, $26 million. That's the best deal they got in terms of value. Uh, David Robertson for ten mil, And then they get the Japanese player Kodai Senga for a five-year, $75 million deal. That's an interesting one. I never know how to evaluate the international players, and I've never enjoyed giving them a whole lot of money. Always felt a little bit odd to me, but five years, we'll kind of see how that winds up working in the future. Another great deal. Uh, The Philadelphia Phillies snag the Dodgers shortstop Trey Turner, probably the best shortstop in baseball. Trey Turner apparently turned down a ton of money from the Padres, extra money to go to the Phillies. He wanted to be reunited with Bryce Harper. Apparently his hitting coach that made his swing the way it is today is over there in Philly. So they're reuniting as well. Trey Turner joins the NL East yet again, and he will be – joining the World Series or the National League champions and hopefully making them a little bit better. They needed a little bit more depth in that lineup and some speed will be really, really nice. Trey Turner is just a fantastic player. 11 years, 300 million is a lot of money though, especially for a guy who relies on speed. Who knows how much that speed will hold up. I don't know. They also got Taiwan Walker, four years, 72 million. The Phillies are spending money, man. The Phillies are spending money. They have a billion dollars wrapped up between Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, Trey Turner, and JT Riomuto. A billion dollars. It's a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot of money between five players, but that's how it goes. And I mentioned the Padres. The Padres have been offering anybody and everybody the bag. They offered Trey Turner. I think they offered him four, 400 400 or 360? I I think I'm thinking Judge numbers. I think they offered him 360. He said no. Then they offer Aaron Judge $400 million. He said no. $400 million. Apparently it was 410, I think, was the number that came out that he declined from the Padres, which is just mind-boggling. Then they go and get Xander Bogart's. 11 years, $280 and apparently the way this deal went was the the Red Sox, who have seemingly fumbled the bag in every possible way since changing GMs a couple years ago, were having horrible trade negotiations with their best players. Xander Bogarts is the best player on the Red Sox. He was. He's no longer. Obviously, he's Devers now. They were offering him, like, $160 like in, like, half the years, and Bogarts, like, no, dude. I wanna I wanna sign this and never do this again. And they're being disrespectful. The Padres went up to him. They're like, hey, Xander, we want you. Uh how's two eighty sound? He was like, Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> it was a done deal, is what apparently they were saying. He appreciated their like straightforwardness in it. So that's pretty nice. So the Padres have a whole debate and a deal to go through now because Xander is a shortstop. He can play second base. He did play or no, he didn't. Because Trevor Story played second base last year. So he's a shortstop. So is Fernando Tatis Jr. He will be coming back after about 20 games from his suspension from BEDs. What's going to happen there is Bogart's going to go to second. Is Xander or is. is Xander going to go to second? Is Tatis going to go to second? Is Tatis going to go to left field, right field, center field? I don't really know. Is Tatis going to get traded? I think that's a possibility. There's a lot of, like, moving parts with this. But they do have a middle infielder of the future, 11 years to be exact. The Padres are aggressive, and they want to win. So shout out to them. Uh, Mitch Haniger signs with the Giants. I I think this is a super underrated deal. Three-year, $43 million. Mitch Haniger is a dog, and he's a really, really good right-handed hitter. I think he's going to be amazing for them. They also re-signed Jock Peterson. Great deal. What else happened? Uh, Wilson Contreras leaves the Cubs to go to their arch rival Cardinals. I always think it's super interesting when teams go to the direct rival. And Contreras apparently said when he watched Pujols hit 6 94, I think it was. It was 694 or 696 that he watched the home run and felt the crowd reaction. It was like, man, it would be really cool to be a part of that organization. Um, is what they're saying. I don't know how true that is. It was a quote. Well, who's to say? But they do get Wilson Contreras, five-year, $87 million. They replace Yachty. Not an easy thing to do, but Wilson Contreras is one of the best catchers in the game. And Yachty was certainly not that at this point in his career. So they definitely get an upgraded catcher. The Cardinals are at least pretending to try, although they should have re-signed Jose Quintana, but who am I? Who am I? Uh, Aaron Judge signs one of the biggest deals ever, and he remains a Yankee. He's going to be a Yankee for the rest of his career, most likely. Nine-year, $360 million. That is an insane amount of money. The extra year from eight to nine is the thing that got it done. The Yankees were offering eight for three twenty. He got the nine for 360, he wanted that extra year. He's going to be 40, it's either 40 or 41 when this contract ends. And he will be a, he'll be a Yankee for life unless any trades go on towards the end of his career. This was a big deal for the Yankees and Judge just had an amazing MVP season. I doubt he ever repeats this season. So let's not base the rest of his time as a Yankee based off of 2022. He had 62 home runs and he was you know, a, a good hot last week of the year away from winning a triple crown. So let's like not do that. But he is the heart and soul of this team. By the time they finish all their signings, he'll probably be announced as the Yankee captain, which they haven't had a captain since Jeter, and that's a really big deal in the Yankees organization. So shout out to Judge going back to New York. It looked like the Giants were going to be a thing there. We got the um, the fake the pump fake news that he was going to be a Giant. Arson judge will forever be immortalized as a San Francisco giant for five to seven minutes. So <laughs> shout out to that. And then the, uh, the last really big news is the Texas Rangers last off season They put so much money. I, I can't remember the numbers, but they put a lot of money and a lot of years into their middle infield of the future. Corey Seager and Marcus Semien, who both had weird years. They started out horrible. Both got hot. Both ended the year pretty darn well, if you ask me. Middle infield, that's done. They still need a lot of stuff. Martin Perez was a fantastic pitcher for them. They re-signed him for a one-year $19 million deal. So that was their ace. Now they get a real ace. Andrew Heaney, I'm kidding, signs a two-year $25 million deal with them as well. They're really filling out the bullpen, or not the bullpen, the the rotation. But they're going to have a lot of rotation options because those two are starters. Then they have Dane Dunning, who looked good at times. They have Glenn Otto, who looked good for them at times. And then they went and got maybe the best right-handed pitcher of our generation in Jacob deGrom. Five years, $185 million. DeGrom leaves the Mets, who apparently he did not have any conversations with. He told his agent he did not want to talk to them. Apparently, he was cold towards his teammates towards the end of his tenure. It all makes sense, right? It all makes sense. DeGrom pretty much said at the beginning of the year, not directly to anybody, but that's what the, the streets were kind of clamoring about, is that he wanted out of New York. Five-year, $185 million to the Texas Rangers. It's a lot of money for DeGrom. He's getting older. He's had a lot of injury stuff in his career. But when he's healthy, he's the best pitcher in baseball. It's a pretty simple fact. The Rangers are going to look better. They still need more pieces. They still need a bullpen. They still need a left and a right fielder. But they have Jonah Heim, who's a pretty solid catcher. Again, they do have Corey Seager and Marcus Semyon. Nate Lowe is a great first baseman. So they have some pieces. They just need a couple more things. If they can convert some of the starters they have, like a Glenn Otto, to maybe become a reliever, that could help facilitate this process. But the Rangers, I think, will take a big step up next year. It was always going to be a couple years down the road, even after they signed Seager and Semyon, and it's feeling a little bit closer and a little bit closer so be cool to see them maybe pose a threat to the Astros probably not but we'll see the Grom is absolutely amazing and having him in the American League is terrifying now so any other big news I'm like looking at a big spreadsheet of all the, the moves Uh Rizzo re-signed with the Yankees that's probably a big reason why he went back there we got a Kershaw re-signing with the Dodgers nobody's surprised I don't know if we talked about Jose Abreu to the Astros on a former episode, but that just makes so much sense. The Astros got better, probably more so than any other team at this point got better in terms of, like, really good and then getting to championship level. I mean, their worst position in the playoffs was first base, and now they have a guy who hits 300 with 25 home runs in a sleep and a former MVP. The only legitimate former MVP on the Astros, by the way, mind you, so it's pretty funny. Um, But we do have a couple more pieces to fall. In, in free agency for the MLB, right? We still need to wait on, where's the ASB Swanson going? It doesn't seem like he's going back to Atlanta. Apparently, talks have been weird. Um, I believe, and I've believed this for a while, he's going to go to the Dodgers to replace Trey Turner, which obviously is not as good as Trey Turner, but that's a pretty good replacement. The Dodgers will be on their fourth shortstop in four years, and it just doesn't matter. And then we have Carlos Verdone, who a lot of signs are... Pointing that he's going to go to the Yankees I think the Giants are still in play I don't know who else would actually be in play for Rodone. it's probably just those two but maybe the Dodgers throw some money at him I'm not quite sure and then we have Carlos Correa and Carlos Correa is still one of the biggest free agents, I do think there are some shortstops better than him at this point especially Trey Turner but he's younger than every other guy he's still a platinum award winner He was hurt at the beginning of the year. He definitely really figured it out towards the end and was looking really sharp. Does he re-sign with the Twins? Does he... Apparently, the Yankees might be in on him. Apparently, the Dodgers might be in on him. But then they weren't because the fans don't want him. Uh, The Red Sox could be a team that looks at him. I think the Cubs are a serious contender for him. The Cubs would absolutely spend that money. And uh, the Giants are also probably going to be in that mix as well. There's only a handful of teams that can afford... A guy like Carlos Correa and a guy like Carlos Rodon and you know the Trey Turners of this world and Philly already got their Trey Turner and the Padres already got their Xander so those are two of the big spenders out of the mix. I'm looking at the Cubs. I'm looking at the Twins. Those are my two favorites for Carlos land So that's how I'm feeling about the rest of the big free agency. I'm gonna be making a big video talking about the money. So I can have like more time to research that and put it in like a condensed short form visual way for you guys to see and uh, assign money to a name and a face. So keep an eye out on that for our YouTube. We're going to be doing a lot more video essays coming in to the new year and going through 2023. So if you guys are interested in baseball and probably basketball and football video essays, I imagine we'll keep it to those three. Um, at least in the ones that I'm creating, if, if any of the other boys are making some, then we'll let you guys know. We'll get that out there. Hopefully you guys watch and enjoy all that, but we'll be getting some video essays out there and just deep diving into some sports and some cool moments in sports and some cool things and money and all that type of stuff that makes sports as entertaining as it is and try and encapsulate that as much as we can in those videos. So be on the lookout for that. I appreciate you guys if you stayed with me watching this episode. I know it's just me, so you're probably tired of my voice at this point. And if that is true, then I'm happy you're here regardless. And I love you, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. We'll be back next week for episode 167. And we'll have one of the boys with us again. Make sure you follow us at Spectators Media on all of the platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And I'll see you guys next week. Have a great one. Peace, everybody.